Hey guys, George Mesa, Third Eye Edify Podcast. And it's time to get down with some music and more importantly, dig deep to find out what has gone on in the past four or five hundred years, past thousand years, really. The advent of modern Western tonality and why I'm starting to really doubt that it happened naturally that it was necessary, and that it wasn't done on purpose to deceive and invert like everything else. It has affected every single human that has ever lived through it. And now it's worse than ever. For many reasons. This will certainly not be the last of this kind of episode. I assume at least three or four are going to happen of this particular topic. But the first thing I'm going to do since I'm holding an instrument, is I'm going to show you a small melodic fragment. I'm going to choose, essentially going to choose the notes ahead of time, but I'm not playing anything that I wrote or memorized or even know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to play something. You think about what it sounds like to you. Is it minor? Is it major? Minor would be sad, even mean, evil, Stormy dark clouds. Major is happy, bright, joyful, sunny day. And even that's been inverted through harmony. The idea that one note is a melody and anything attached to it beyond the one note, this is harmony. Yes, harmony is a chord, but it can also be two melodic lines flowing at the same time. It's the harmonic note choices that are starting to really stick out to me as, well, I guess problematic. So I'm going to play a little fragment of something, then I'm going to add a note to it afterwards. And be honest, do you think that it altered your perception of what you initially thought it was? Is that deception? Is it intentional? Probably. Let's see what happens. Okay, so now I'm going to do similar because like I said, it's not a pre-prepared melody or anything. And I'm going to add a note. See if this note is changing how you perceive that melody. going to be the start of what I think is an extremely important conversation. It's going to take time to look at a lot of different eras, a lot of different changes, math, music, their relationship, obvious and not obvious, 
and so much more. Thank you for joining me. Like I said, this is going to be a long journey. And this is just the start of a conversation that I hope that everyone takes part in. I really do. Leave a comment. Send me a message on my Telegram group or personally, whatever. I would love to interact with all of you about this because this is, I'm trying to pioneer new territory with this knowledge. So let's see what happens. I, one of the things that inspired me a lot was reading this particular book, and I'll, I'll bring it up on the screen real quick. Robert Lawler, Sacred Geometry. There are music sections. There are relationships to music. And I think it's important that we think about all of this in a, I guess, a musical context. It does have to happen. I'm sorry, in a mathematical context, because it's unavoidable. There are always going to be things of this nature as we look at music, overtones, and things like that. So let's, let's start by defining what exactly is tonality, in the modern sense especially. Right, This idea that there is a key. If you're in the key of C major, the key of B flat minor, these keys have identities. Remember that flowers, fish, color, these all have different meanings. Just seeing a lotus flower just seeing the color red somewhere specific. It has esoteric, masonic, alchemical meanings. They are supposed to invoke something. And music is no different. Playing in the key of D minor feels and sounds a certain way, and humans react to it. Playing in the key of G sharp major should have a different effect. And not just the major and minor differences. It should have an overall different effect. Every major key has a different effect. And a lot of instruments weren't good at doing this at first. And pianos are relatively new. Along with a lot of other instruments that we use, fretted guitars and things like that. Um, they're fairly new. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a bit later. But each key has a unique identity. And it can really have a negative impact when altered. And what do I mean by that? We have our tonal centers. We have our center. And to affect it, to change it, or to even fight it, as we're often taught to fight our own natural instincts, from birth, essentially, even the act of birth. If anyone saw my episode where I interviewed my wife, um, she, she discussed it then. She was just on another show recently, Michelle's Healing Home. And it made me think a lot about this because they, they try to tell you that birth is supposed to go a certain way, the white lab coat way. And um, everything we do 
based on everything we're told to do often goes against our natural instincts and our natural center. So picture being out of alignment physically or emotionally. That's what I mean by this. You're out of alignment with your own center. And interacting with other tonal centers, other people, other things, plants, animals, anything, that's a part of life. But you never leave your own natural center. You never leave your key. And I mean K-E-Y, by the way. Um, and that may even have a whole other meaning, the way keys open doors. So let's think about that too. When you change key, you can't open the same locks anymore. You can look at it that way if that helps. But um, in music, we would call it mixture or tonicization. When you quickly imply other keys, when you interact with other keys, but you still retain the initial original key, the original tonal center. And this is going to lead into why I think harmony is damaging now. I certainly never did until I started really thinking about it and really listening. With my ears, ears to hear are necessary for this kind of, I'm transmuting, I'm growing. Now, why wasn't this even a consideration? And I say that relatively loosely. There was chordal ideas. There were four people singing at once, for example. Unavoidably, you're going to get harmony. But the intention wasn't to create a minor chord or to use the key and get out of the key and move in and out of the key. Each melodic line had its own tonal center. They were mixing them simultaneously, potentially not on purpose. But since most of that was written for the church, maybe it was. And that is another conversation that may not even take place in this music discussion. But guess when all of this started happening? Late Renaissance, early Baroque. This is the late 16th century, essentially. And this aligns very, very closely with something else in math that I will get to in a little bit that I think is astoundingly similar and very revealing. And as I said earlier, many instruments, many instruments weren't very good at doing many keys. They just couldn't. And only the voice could do whatever it wants. Every other instrument, you've got to work your hardest to make it do what you want it to do. The voice can do it now. Training required, certainly, but it is limitless. It is the ultimate instrument, as I said in the previous episode, title, and it's the most versatile instrument. Your entire body is an instrument, as a matter of fact. And so as a result of this instrument's not being very good at switching keys, or even playing a lot of different keys. Um, this essentially came into being with the ideas of well temperament, equal temperament. Equal temperament is the biggest problem, in my opinion. And our good old friend, Johann Sebastian Bach, Bach as it's actually pronounced, who died at the same year we're considering the Baroque era to have ended, 1750. He came in, composing, getting to the end of the 1600s, going into the 1700s. And he ended up writing a piece called The Well-Tempered Clavier, where he took, because of this new way, this new temperament, this new way to divide the octave, which will be another very important topic for this, the octave, he wrote 
a piece in each key. They're nice to listen to. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not denouncing all of this. It's okay to listen to music. It's still okay to watch a sport if you want to. I think that they are helping to weaken and damage us as a whole. That is my point of all this. So, equal temperament is literally the equal dividing of 12 tones in the span of an octave. Raising an octave is essentially the most important thing we do. It can be completely transformative to raise your own octave, to pass through your chakras to finally raise that octave. Numbers do it as well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We start over. We start a new octave. Notes in music do the same thing in a key. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. And then we get to do again and we start a brand new octave. Now I'm speaking about this now because the advent of the usage of the number zero actually coincides a lot with this harmonic discussion. And I think that it may be surprising to find out, hopefully, for some of you at least. Um, it's not natural for equal divisions. It's not natural at all. And nature says no, but most of the world is totally accustomed to it at this point. Equal temperament, that is. And of course, 440. Now, I don't think 432 is the magic number, the magic solution. Otherwise, it would have already been that. It hasn't been. But it is much better. And anything's better, really. <laughs> but remember that you're going to 432. You still, let's say you tune your guitar to 432. That means each string with its own different pitches, they don't even all have 432 as their main string pitch. And then the overtone series for that string changes. It's just a whole mess. You're not getting 432 if you tune your guitar differently or alter an entire piano for that reason. It's not the final answer. And I'm now starting to debate whether or not we should even hear two notes at once. So has equal temperament and Western theory done to music and harmony what zero has done to math? If you introduce a non-existent concept into math, and keep this in mind, there were, they weren't using zeros. They weren't doing that. If you want the number 20, um, let's say in Roman numerals, or let's say, let's go with this. No, let's use that. It's XX. You know, we don't necessarily have a zero in the place. When you have numbers that go past 100, you get the Roman numerals, and you don't get a, you don't have a, an actual zero. It's not written. It's understood. There's a placeholder, but the physical concept of zero doesn't exist. The idea of equal temperament doesn't technically exist. How do we know? Because we have the overtone series. When you pluck a string, it essentially looks like this. It may appear chaotic, but it really isn't. Um, there's a lot of things going on, yes, but it still exists in a very controlled fashion. And we'll discuss the overtone series a little more in a moment. But 
That is harmony. Look at it again. There's many things happening at once. And this all takes place within the string's vibrating body. This is the idea of pitch. A single pitch has every single note in it already. That is harmony we can't duplicate musically. Harmony exists in one pitch. That one pitch you're hearing is called the fundamental. Once we hit that fundamental, we get tons of other information. I've demonstrated this in my episode 440 Hertz, H-U-R-T-S, and I think that it's really worth revisiting if you want to quickly see what I mean. I may demonstrate it again in this episode. We'll see. I'm not sure yet. Um, now, there is something else I want to mention that I'm, I'm talking about this zero thing. Because music eventually evolved into something called atonal, as in no tonal center. It doesn't mean all music was that way. It's never going to be that way, of course. But um, basically started around 1908. It's a very impactful time for art in general. The deconstruction of things. Um, even paintings, you know, just think of late Picasso where the mouth is in a weird spot, the eye is over here, whatever. It's not... It's not a face as we know it. It's a deconstructed face. This is the idea of atonal, in my opinion. We still have the 12 pitches that we use in equal temperament, but we don't use them for chordal harmonic purposes. We, do, we, use, the op, we use the inversions of all the rules that make harmony. Maybe atonal is better for us, but I, strangely enough, when you analyze atonal music, you don't say C sharp and G and all this stuff. It's, it's pointless. When you give a, a pitch a letter... You're, designated, it's, you're designating a purpose or an identity for it. In atonal music, we lose all of that. And instead of 1 through 12, we study it like a matrix would be in computer programming. We start with 0, 0 through 11. So right away, we're getting all this very, again, inverted information. And there's plenty more inversion to talk about before this episode is done, I assure you. Um, but tonal theory is really, tonal theory is 1 through 7. And then the 8 is the octave. 8 equals 1. 9 equals 2. We don't go beyond 7. There is nothing else. And um, same thing if you discussed what would be called a chromatic scale. Every note, 1 through 12. 13 is 1. 14 is 2. You stop at the final number before the octave. Something very interesting was said in the Lawler book that I mentioned, Sacred Geometry. There is no throwing away a bottle. You, there is no zero. You put the bottle in the trash, it gets crushed, the glass gets used for something else. Whatever you want to imagine happens to this bottle. You can't just get rid of things. There is no zero. You can't divide the octave equally. Nature doesn't do that. It's going against nature. A very common theme nowadays, isn't it? And it's very sad. It comes up on this show a lot. And um, again, it's, it's quite sad. I want to quickly mention what other inversions exist musically before I discuss more stuff about harmony and how especially pop music is really just destroying it. Um, major and minor, the concepts of what they mean have actually been changed. Major used to mean something serious. And minor used to be used for happy, fun things. 
I've used the example in the past, but in case you haven't heard that, Ahaba Nagila, which is a pretty popular song, is minor all the way, but it's a happy, joyous song. This happens all the time. We get inversions of things. Now minor is this sad, drowsy, droopy thing, and major is this super happy, upbeat thing. Strong and weak beats in music have been radically altered as well. In rock, we get the backbeat from the snare drum of the drummer. One, two, and three, and four. Two and four get the strong beats. This is a 100% inversion from the way things used to be. There wouldn't be a drummer. There wouldn't be a harmonic background. There would simply be a melody who stresses beats one and three, not two and four. Uh, Poetry is similar. I don't really think that it's 100% comparable, and that might be a whole other episode, but poetry has rhythm, and it exists on its own. I've asked many students in the past, what do you think came first, melody or rhythm, percussion, let's say? The short answer for me is vocal percussion. I think that was probably the first thing before we ever really sung or spoke. Perhaps we imitated the sounds we heard. Maybe a rock fell down a hill and created some kind of a familiar sounding thing. Maybe a bird. Could be anything. Could be a stream. It could be a dripping in a cave. A dripping water, you know, drips of water in a cave from a stalactite or stalagmite, whatever. You just never know where you might catch a rhythm. And who knows? We don't. But it started somewhere, and I bet percussion was first. We went from one voice, monophonic, to many voices, polyphonic. And very often we get homophonic harmony, meaning that the singer is singing the main melody, and the backup singer is singing the same exact words and rhythm with different notes. Now, I really think that, and you know, sometimes they harmonize themselves in the studio. It's the same singer harmonizing with themselves. Then you see them live, and it doesn't sound the same, because it's not that, that timbre, that texture of the same vocalist more than once harmonizing themselves. Perhaps this happened in um, Bohemian Rhapsody. There's like 10 singers, but it's only four of them. So it alters perception. It's false reality. It's deception. And it's inverting reality. Again, I I know I just said that, but I want to make it clear that this is fake. And if it does get your reaction... And then you see it live, you're going to feel pretty deflated, hopefully, and realize that you have been deceived. But is there an intention behind it? I certainly think so. It confuses the melodic intention. Or it's completely missed. People that don't study music don't even notice when it's homophonic rhythm, when they're both doing the same exact thing simultaneously, parallel, It's missed by, people don't hear it. They only hear the melody that you're intended to hear. Goes a long way to describe some of the the tricks that they use to deceive.
like I was saying, this number zero. I'm so curious about the time frame. Check this out. Is it any coincidence that zero was placed before one in Europe at the dawn of the age of reason, the late 16th? It's almost exactly coinciding with the advent of modern Western tonality. Right before the Baroque era in, in music, which essentially is claimed to have started at 1600, right at the end of the 16th century. Zero went from sunya in Sanskrit, meaning empty, not nothing, but empty. A container can be empty, the container's there. To the Latin shifra, meaning nothing. I want to quickly again show within this oval is an octave from end to end. And all these other interacting waves are overtones that are created by your string when you play it. And what does it look like? It looks like the hieroglyph or mouth. It looks the same. You are the ultimate instrument. Is your voice the word of God? Is this why they want to put muzzles on us? Is this why they're telling you to wear masks? Are we that powerful? Clearly we are. And ancient cultures understood this. They were not Neanderthal dumbasses who had no idea what was going on. Clearly. And I want to be really clear that this is the start of something. I am looking for answers. There's so much information and so little time, but I'm working on it. And I'm, I'm worried it bothers, it's bothersome to me because I trained so hard to understand these concepts. But now, now I can look from the inside looking in because I know how these things are used and I know the time frames. I'm not surprised, but I was slightly surprised to find out about how zero fell into use in the same region of the world around the same time as harmony became a thing. As I said, they can directly alter and deceive melodic intent. The melody can change. The mood can change. The musical direction can change. Picture you're changing your voice's tonal color, anger versus sarcasm. The same exact words can mean something completely different depending on how you say it. Yeah, that's great. Or, that's great. Depends on how you say it. This is the coloration, the gesture, right? Um, that's what the initial definition of modulation was, by the way. Change your tone. Now modulation means that you're changing your key, you're changing your tonal center. Songs leave their keys and go somewhere else. The entire direct relationship between you and that key of C major, let's say. Now it's changed completely. When you modulate, when you leave the key intentionally and potentially never look back. 
um, many pieces of pop music, they modulate unprepared. They just do it. It's, it's usually near the end, actually. They'll get to the end. They want to repeat the same phrase over and over again, and they modulate to, to avoid redundancy, I imagine, is the reason. But it doesn't mean that it has to be that. I, I don't know. It's really hard to know sometimes because they're not writing their own music half the time or way more than half the time to begin with. So keep that in mind, right? It's just a pointless extension. It's confusing. There's no real reason behind it. They simply change the tonal center. They change the color of everything. And they change the impact on you, the listener. So now the same words have a new key. And like I said earlier, colors, flowers, they all had a certain meaning. You change the key, you're, you're doing something on purpose. And we're dealing with that equal temperament, that, that dastardly equal temperament that is just ruining the way we perceive music. And of course, we're in 440 anyway. Not that 432 is the answer, but 440 is bad and it is worse. Definitely. No question about that. But, um, you know, since the Baroque, especially since Bach, it was more and more popular to modulate. It's almost a requirement of the better composers just to show off their muscles. It was a badge of, a badge of honor if you did it right. And um, this is the advent of modern tonality. To be able to manipulate all 12 notes in any key and convincingly do it within a piece or a movement which is just a part of an entire piece that could be played on its own. A lot of four-movement um, symphonies, for example. So I was listening to one or two music episodes of Crow, Triple Seven, maybe a month, two months, three months ago, and they were discussing how they're craving key changes and how a lot of people are lazy and they don't do it anymore. It's, I understand exactly where he's coming from. He's just trying to say that musicians are getting dumb and lazy, and they are. And pop music is getting dumb and lazy. Nobody's wrong about that. But I disagree that it's lazy to stick to a key from a true composer because it's, it's difficult. It actually might even require more skill to make one key as beautiful and as amazing as it can be to resonate properly with the human soul human understanding, the, the hive mind of the entire and the entire world we live in. Everyone hears it a certain way, but it can all grab you in a certain way too. And that's usually how things get popular when everyone feels that same feeling, whether it's beautiful or not. And um it might be it might be better that we start manipulating melodies in one key to do what it can as much as it possibly can. It's like skipping levels. You're level jumping. You're, it's like skipping. It's like going up. You're going through your chakras. It's like skipping one just to get to the top faster. It's harder to do the work to make as much as you can come out of one tonal center. And I assume it's more rewarding as well. I personally think it is, but I think it would be for a lot of other people too. That's the assumption. I mean, you know, the rise of motion pictures no surprise here, I assume, really added a need for many varying, unrelated keys and more rhythmless, dissonant music. And I think the inspiration for a lot of the sounds, especially the earlier stuff, movie-wise, first 50 years of motion picture, let's say, 
opera, and ballet from the previous hundred years were humongous influences. Yeah, there's a lot of Baroque references and stuff in these things in movies, but a lot of times you'll actually just play Bach or Mozart and Beethoven. But I'm talking about some of the more dense ballets and operas. Um, listen to Ravel, Maurice Ravel, Daphne said Chloe. Listen to Richard Wagner, Tristan und Isolde. Listen to Igor Stravinsky, Les Secrets du Printemps, The Rite of Spring. These are all ballets and operas. You can hear the influence on the modern motion picture soundtracks. So it's not like it just spawned because of movies. The sounds were already there, but now they found a better purpose for things. Jarring little quick jump scares and things like that needed certain dissonant sounds and different kinds of ways to play an instrument that are not average. Weird ways to play them just to get weird sounds, of course. Um, I think it's very interesting that ballet and opera are relatively disregarded by the masses overall, but their music permeates throughout all of the entertainment that you take in on a regular basis. Now, it's obviously changed, especially recently. I feel like every movie trailer I see has the same exact sounding music. It's crazy, but it still has the, the tinge the classical history, the common practice era. But listen to bits of these pieces I mentioned. I think you'll, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that sounds, I think I've heard that before. It's not because it's being ripped off completely, but the idea of those instruments making those sounds in those keys are what you're hearing. You're hearing relationship or a memory of a key even. A certain key can be a theme. And in operas, they often are. Certain melodic fragments or even keys can be the identity of the character. Now, there's a good reason to use other keys. The bad guy has a weird minor key. The good guy has a very bright, happy major key. Again, these are inversions of the original meanings, but again, it's we're, we're making entertainment. We're making things. We're trying to figure things out. There's much more to it. Anyone that wrote operas usually had connections to, I wouldn't say Freemasons, but they had, they had knowledge. They had a lot of knowledge. Just look at Mozart. Look at his history. He's a known Freemason. And there's lots of other things that intertwine with the way composers have been involved in intercontinental politics, wartime spying, and all kinds of other stuff. It's a great way to get someone behind somebody making a speech. You have the right music. I think that goes a long way for what goes on in the United States as well. Certain sounds are assumed patriotic. Perhaps they're always in the same key, with the same instruments, with the same harmonies. And that's where they're grabbing you. It's not necessarily that, it, oh, why does it, what is that sound that I'm hearing? It might not just be the melody. It might be the actual key. They bring you that tonal center again, like, bing, it hits you right away. I bet it's not even in 440. I have not looked at it, but I'm going to now. So much to say. Hard to collect it in one thought. But overall, where I'm going from here is that everything's been inverted and harmony might actually be one of music's biggest enemies. 
On top of that, most pop and rock music, not good or bad, I'm just saying it as a fact, don't use the harmonies in a key, the chords that exist in a key, exclusive to the key. Seven notes in every key, seven triads, seven chords. Most of them don't use them in the way that you're supposed to. We expect the chords to do a certain thing, and I will possibly show that the three pillars and their relationship to the triads that exist in them. It's not that it's set in stone, but it's just how it works. And when you use equal temperament, it still works. This is where the magic comes in. This is the ultimate deception. The layer here is that even with this equal temperament disaster that has nothing to do with what nature provides us, even with this 440 or this idea of harmony being used to deceive what a melody could be, even with all of that, it, it works. It still works. So it's, that's, that's what's incredible, is that you, you don't notice it. How could you? You grew up with it. It's fine. If you, if you grew up with not equal temperament in any way or only melodies, you'd be fine. You wouldn't be missing all this stuff. But it's just like the overabundance of entertainment. They give you this oversaturated or picture of food with tons of sugar and all this other crap that you just can't wait to eat again. They give you this oversaturated abundance of crap and you get addicted to it immediately. They play you an old ballet or some great jazz performance and most people could care less. Now, I don't care if they don't care less. It's up to them if they like it or not. But were they deceived to not even have a flavor for it, no taste for it whatsoever, by this soulless, improperly used, harmonically speaking, pop music that changes keys whenever it wants to for no reason and doesn't even use the chords the way that it's supposed to. Probably. And there's one last thing to mention as far as inversions, and this might be one of the most interesting ones. And again, the word magic comes to mind. Because if I were to, and I don't think playing the instrument is necessary, when you play your open string, as in you pluck a string without touching it with the other hand, you get a certain pitch. The way that they have, and the way that they say that Pythagoras figured it all out, is that we tune by what is called a fifth. Music has intervals. The fifth is the do, re, mi, fa, sol. The fifth note in the scale, in the key. And where that occurs in that, in what I showed you, I'll just pull it up again real quick. Within this is every note within that octave. So what happens is you stop or push the string down at a certain fret and you get a certain note. To achieve the fifth, you have to go three halves down and push, and you get the fifth of equal temperament. It's not where it belongs, but it's really close and it still kind of works because they know. Now, here's what's the most interesting. 
it's inverted from the overtone series. With the overtone series, not only do you get a situation where going up the neck, the notes go higher when you push and you get your equal temperament frets. When you go backwards, the overtone series goes up in the opposite direction. It's like reading left to right, right to left. Which one is correct? Now, that's one level of inversion. Notes go up as you fret. This way, as you manipulate the string to hear the overtone series, the notes go this way. When you get the fifth, it's three halves. When you get the fifth from the overtone series, which is actually past an octave, I think I'll get into more detail next time. It's two-thirds. Inversion. I think there's some real meaning to this. I think there's some real depth to all this. And it's going to get crazy. I think there's obviously far more to discover here. But just that alone, to know that nature tells us the fifth belongs at two-thirds, and that with equal temperament, the fifth occurs at three halves. It's inverted, but it's still very, very, very close, and it kind of works. It works enough for us to make 100-plus years of music. Well, equal temperament's actually older than that. So hundreds of years of music. It's really something. There's still plenty of places in the world that don't do this, by the way. But um, it's all just seen as Neanderthal crap, as usual. Just like the pyramids, right? Yeah, lucky, lucky, I guess. I think I'll leave it there. There's plenty more to talk about, but um, I wanted this to be a, as concise as possible without further demonstration. I will demonstrate the overtones next time because I have much more to discuss with them. And I think you not having heard me just play it now, it's actually better. I want you to think about the inversions. It proves that they, they know. It proves that they are manipulating our system on purpose. It proves that they're trying to use music as one more layer of a way to poison us into slow decay. I hope you found this interesting and edifying because I'm often learning as I study these things, even if it's something that this topic where I'm, I'm quite well versed, there's always more to know and nobody knows everything. That's why I would love it if anyone that's watching this had input. Tell me what you know. And if you're interested in supporting my work and keeping this thing going, I'm on Patreon. You can subscribe to me through Rockfin. And of course, I'm still on YouTube, but you know, we'll see how far that goes. And if you can't support, 
just like and subscribe and hit the bell and I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And just commenting really makes me feel like um like I'm reaching people and I'm I'm getting this what I think very is very important information out to more than just friends and family. So thank you so much. And I'll be back real soon with a lot more of this.